Our Bible reading this morning will be from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This morning our theme is going to be reconciliation, which follows on naturally from forgiveness, which we explored last week. So we're reading from verse 16 to verse 20. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So these are our verses that we're going to explore this morning. And I wonder when we m- mention that word reconciliation, what, what comes to mind? Is that a great example from one of the world leaders? An example from your life? I wonder. When it first came to my mind, and I use this example hesitantly because I know there are people in here that are going to know far more about the situation than the person than I do, but I use him because I do think he's a good example, and that is Nelson Mandela. And of course, I say his name knowing we have South Africans in the room, and knowing they know far more than I do. But Nelson Mandela was a man who was a rebel, but soon became the solution. And one of the things that he recognised in his nation was that for there to be peace, and for them to move forward, there would have to be forgiveness, and there would have to be reconciliation. And he worked hard for that to happen. He set up groups to try and make sure that this happened. He even went as far as to invite his jailers and his torturers to meals and to his inauguration. He understood that there is something important about the principle of reconciliation. And of course, like any other nation, it's not going to be perfect, although that may be disputed. But huge progress was made. Now when Paul speaks of reconciliation, he's using a Greek word, and this is one of the few occasions where I'm going to give you a Greek word, because it's not something I do massively often. But I wrote an essay on these verses, and, I actually, and it was helpful, I was able to read this essay, and think, oh wow, there's a lot to say actually. But the Greek word is katalasso. And katalasso 
means, and this is a quote, the restoration to the original understanding between people after a hostility or displeasure. So the restoration of the original understanding between a people after the hostility or displeasure. In other words, reconciliation means taking a relationship or a situation back to the state it was before whatever the conflict was that has damaged it. So I'm sure as we see that definition of what Paul is getting at, that we would recognise that reconciliation is quite a challenge. Not something that it's easy to live out. But reconciliation is what we experience in Jesus Christ. And these verses make it clear it's what we're called to practice in the world. And I want us to explore that this morning, looking firstly at at our reconciliation with God, then the call to show this to one another before finally looking at the fact that we are entrusted to share this with the world around us. So to be reconciled with God. Last week we looked at forgiveness. We surveyed and we recognised that forgiveness is actually something that's hard to do, it's hard to live out. But yet it's something that we know the Bible places a huge emphasis on. And it's something that we're all called to model and to live out and to show to others. We looked at Martin Luther and his wrestling and how before he had this great breakthrough of the forgiveness that he has in Jesus Christ was restless. Restless because he knew that his heart was way distant from what it should be at. Restless because he looked at Jesus' two commandments, to love the Lord your God with everything that you are, and to love others as you love yourself, and knew that he was nowhere near fulfilling neither of those. And that filled him with pain, and it filled him with suffering, and it filled him with angst until he had this breakthrough that actually it wasn't about what he could do. It was about what Christ has done for him. He couldn't fix what was going on in his heart. But he came to the realisation that God had fixed it. And forgiveness was available to him and to everyone else. And so began the Reformation. But I think there is the other side of the coin to forgiveness. And that is reconciliation. Forgiveness means forgiving that which has hurt us, offended us. Reconciliation means restoring the relationship, taking it back to the point that it was at before that event occurred. And that is what God has done for us. For every single one of us who have placed our trust 
in Jesus Christ, our relationship has been restored back to start point before there was a fall. Reconciled with God. Not because sin isn't there anymore, but because God in Christ has acted and has removed that hostility between us and him. We have, amazingly, a relationship in Christ where our failure doesn't define it. Not our past ones, not our present ones, or our future ones. Our inability to live up to the standard that God asks of us through Scripture is not what defines our relationship with Him. Why? Because we've been reconciled to Him through Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean, of course, that sin is abolished and we can do whatever we please whenever it suits us and indulge every whim and desire that drops into our heads. Like last week, I want to clarify that and say there is a very clear way that Scripture tells us we are to live as His children, as His followers. But what it does mean is the times that we fail. And there may have been few of those times this week. There may have been many of those times this week. But the times that we fail and we know that we've actually not done what we're meant to do or did what we're not meant to do, these don't define our relationship with God. It's deeper than that. We are reconciled with him. Scripture tells us that there's nothing that can separate us from him. But yet Paul says something interesting in these verses because he says to us in verse 20, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So while reconciliation has happened when we trust God, there is this element of have we grasped it? Have we taken hold of it? Have we let our position in Christ become a firm foundation for our walk with him and our experience of him? Or is it simply a word and not much more? Have we taken hold of the fact that God through Christ Jesus has removed that barrier between us and him? and invites us into an ever deeper relationship with him? Or is our focus still on our failures, or our sins, or our struggles, or our feelings of inadequacy, and we hold God at arm's length? Not moving deeper into that relationship because actually we're still not sure if we're worthy of it. We're still not sure if he fully accepts us. We know what we got up to last week. God sure does know. And we're not sure if he actually wants us anywhere near him. Paul says to us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Have we grasped that reconciliation? That means we don't have to let the struggles overwhelm us or the guilt drown us or the failure defeat us. 
but instead to recognize that we've been given so much more in Christ and we, we rest securely in his hand. Not because we're worthy and perfect. Not because, not because we've had a fantastic week. But because of Jesus and our trust in him. Paul implores us, be reconciled with God. I encourage us all, grasp hold of that. Maybe you have, and if you have, great. Or maybe some of the other stuff is still there, causing confusion or doubt, making us distance ourselves from God, making us question if actually we're as loved and accepted as the Bible says we are. What Paul tells us this morning is be reconciled to God. Through Christ, God has done that. Paid the cost of our sins. And is reconciling us and the world to himself. Be reconciled to God. But also, we have to be reconciled with one another as well. This is something that these verses make clear. That we're not just to accept and understand but also that we are to model and practice we all know that we are to forgive others when they hurt us we all know that it's a struggle to forgive others when they hurt us sometimes we can do it reasonably easily other times it can take us weeks, months sometimes even longer But scripture also tells us that this idea of reconciliation is the intended outcome. That our forgiveness of a person when they've done something to us is to try and get the relationship back to the point it was at before whatever the situation was occurred. That's not always possible. Sometimes the other person won't want the reconciliation. Sometimes it might not even be safe for us to try that type of reconciliation. But it's nonetheless the ideal and the target. And when we take that seriously, we realise that the Christian life that we're all called to be on is one that's actually quite a challenge. It's costly. Because we're to try and do things, and we're asked to do things that are hard. These kind of things really actually do require us dying to self. They require us being able to look beyond our own feelings and perspectives. To try and do something which humanly is really difficult to do. It's very interesting. If you think and you take seriously the concept that sin damages either our relationship with God or our relationship with others. Where in the world do you find organisations which are attempting to bring together hostile parties, reconciliation? It's not something you see a massive focus on. You would see interesting and unique attempts at such things on television. So you get things like the Jerry Springer show. 
And the concept of that was a very vague attempt at reconciliation. More about cheer swinging, I think, but there was this vague underlining that there was meant to be some form of fixed relationships or a recognition of the problem and a poor attempt to fix it. And you get similar things in Britain now with your Jeremy Kyle show in the morning, which seems to be more about shouting than about anything else. They don't swing chairs on that, but they shout. But behind that is a recognition of a problem and an attempt an interesting one, to fix it. What are we doing with that problem? When sin comes and there is a situation that damages a relationship with a brother or sister in Christ, we know we have to try and forgive them. We have to try and reconcile with them. And the truth is, the church isn't perfect. Not this one, nor any church throughout the whole of the world. Every church is full of people. People with different personalities. People that will rub off together sometimes in the wrong or less than helpful ways. So offence, welcome. Hurt, welcome. Fallouts, arguments, all these things are kind of inevitable in what God has envisioned as his church. So it's important that we learn to model forgiveness and reconciliation. And I actually think that one of the reasons God has pulled together his church and asked people to live in such close communities is so we actually learn to do these things. Because we always have two choices when we get hurt and upset. We can cut and go. Turn away from that person or situation and, and that's it. There's a line drawn. We have nothing more to do with it. Or the other choice is to work at it. And the truth is when it comes to churches, you know if there was a perfect church somewhere in this world and you found it and you joined it, the harsh truth is, at that point, it wouldn't be a perfect church anymore. Because we're sinners. So they might not even let you join, which wouldn't make a perfect church anymore because they're rejecting people. So hopefully that puts to bed the concept of a perfect church. It doesn't exist. What does exist is God calling people together in Christian community. That being fantastic at times and a great joy when we encourage one another and we support one another and we build one another up, we equip one another, we recognise God's gifts that he's given to us and encourage people to use them. And there are the other times when it's trickier and it's harder and we're upset for whatever reason and it's a bit more like an endurance. Both of these times are spiritually formative. Both of these times are opportunities for us to grow. In one case, we grow in nice conditions, conditions we enjoy and appreciate. In the other case, we grow in more testing conditions when we're being challenged to put into practice that which Scripture asks of us. And the great news is that we have God's Holy Spirit in us. 
God's Spirit can empower us and equip us to do these kind of things that we find really challenging. But I wonder, how long does it take you? So say this afternoon you're sitting there having a cup of coffee and I don't know, Joe Blow goes up to you and says, saw you in church this morning. You shouldn't have dressed like that. And by the way, when was the last time you showered? Now you might go away, and I would imagine, I would hope you would be pretty offended by that. Probably fizzing. And you would begin this process of trying to work out what you're going to do about this situation. You might decide you're going to speak to the person and explain how those comments made you feel. But in this process of our processing what's happened and what somebody said or done that's hurt us, what point or how long does it take us to get to the point where we pray? Because it's when we do that that we're beginning to recognise, actually, God, I need your help here. You're asking me to do something, and I know you're asking me to do something, in this situation, but it's something I'm finding hard and difficult, and I don't actually know if I can do it. Where does that point come when we look for God's strength and assistance in these situations? He's with us. He indwells us. He empowers us. He equips us. So pray. And I encourage us, and I hope we pray quickly when a relationship is being tested. And we're also entrusted, entrusted with this message. This may be something that some of the younger folk in the room, I don't think we've got any, we've got a couple of younger folks still in the room, but one of the things when I was a teenager, and this would happen a lot, was I'd be in the house and my parents would be out and the phone would ring. And I'd pick up the phone and I'd answer the phone and it wouldn't be somebody looking for me, I was just a teenager. It'd be somebody looking for my parents. And they'd say, can you, can you tell your parents such and such? Aye, they bother, I'll tell them that. And then lo and behold, the days would pass. The weeks would pass. And would I tell my parents the message? No, I'd forgot. This would happen frequently. And many times my mum and stepdad would say to me, why didn't you tell us that such and such had phoned? Why didn't you pass along that message? I forgot. I was distracted. I was probably playing my, I think it was, it was a PS1 back then. Distracted. Did they think to share that message with you? Yet here we're told that we're given a ministry of reconciliation, that we're made ambassadors for Christ, that God is making his appeal through us to proclaim to the world that God is reconciling the world to Christ. In other words, God has given us a message to tell the world that sin and its destructive force either in its relationship between us and God which is the primary one or in the relationship between a human and a human which is destroyed by sin as well that God is at work 
and is reconciling these things through Christ Jesus. As I was reading, I found this interesting quote about reconciliation where it says, Only where de- Christ's death for sin is taken with apostolic seriousness can the rains of divine restoration was- wash away human hate and moisten seeds of love. The prospects for real and lasting forgiveness in many trouble spots in the postmodern world depend on the grace God grants as the gospel of his, of his reconciling Son proclaimed, believed, and applied. That quote says that the gospel is the hope of the world. And we believe the gospel is the hope of the world. Yeah? For we know that the biggest problem that humanity faces can never be overcome, humanly speaking, and that is sin. But it can be overcome through Christ. So we proclaim that message. Yet, there's another message here too. We are to proclaim reconciliation, peace. We are to be supporters and ambassadors of those traits. We're given that ministry to oppose sin ultimately in these places where we see it so blatantly obvious. We know the world needs that message of hope. That God is at work and that there can be reconciliation and peace. Trying to think of where I heard this story. And I can't place the situation, but I'm going to share the story anyway. And there's a story in, and it's one of the, I think it's one of the African countries where there are two tribes that have always been at war. Always. It's just how it's been for generations. They probably don't even remember why they're at war anymore. But there are Christians there as well. And the Christians have been hard at work trying to bring reconciliation between these two tribes. And they've actually had an amazing breakthrough because these two tribes, they would never, ever be in one another's company. Ever. It would just wouldn't happen. And now they will sit together with one of the Christians and they will talk. At work to bring reconciliation. And that's a message that we're all entrusted with. What are we sharing with the world? The danger is it would become like me when I was a teenager and we forget to actually share the message. Or folks get half a message. Don't know which is worse. But what we're told here is that God has given us something that impacts our life but also the lives of those around us. It ought to impact politics. It definitely ought to impact sectarianism and racism and prejudice to impact our words, our principles. It's a God-given ministry that each of us has been given. Sin destroys, but God is reconciling. Rebuilding. This is what he's doing, and are we in step with him? 
What we're sharing with the world. I believe there is a structure in this, vitally important, that we hear Paul's words. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled with God. We need to understand our identity in Jesus Christ as reconciled children. There is no division between us and God through what God has achieved through Christ Jesus. We need to reflect on it and pray on it and deeply grasp it so that we then are more able to practice it when it affects our lives, when hostility comes. We can try and show those traits. And as we live it as a community and as it becomes part of our culture, we model it in the world around us. We proclaim that there is a God who is at work, who is reconciling people to himself and removing even the hostility between people. That's what God wants us to model. That's what Jesus is getting at when he prays that we would be one as he and the Father are one. When he says the world will know your mind by how you love one another. Conflict is going to come. It's inevitable. It is. But what we do when it comes is where the rubber hits the road. And the more we understand how much we've been reconciled to God, the more able and capable we are to certainly pray quicker and to understand deeper how we respond to that hurt and that pain and get on that path toward forgiveness and reconciliation. And when we do that, the truth is, sin doesn't win. Because the offence is removed and the barrier taken away. God wins. Because what he's doing triumphs. And what he's doing is bringing reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you first and above all that you've given us your Holy Spirit. That he indwells us. He equips us. He's at work in our lives. And that through him, Lord, you can use us to do these amazing things that scripture calls us to do and asks us to model. Father, help us, especially when we are hurt, upset, or betrayed, especially when it comes from the family of Christ, who we know these kind of things shouldn't happen with. Help us, Lord, to pray faster. Help us to understand deeper our reconciliation with you. And use us, Lord. Use us as we continue to grow in such things to show the world the way of Jesus Christ and to proclaim to the world the hope that he offers. Father, we think of reconciliation and it is quite a simple word. But Lord, we can see that the bread and the wine are out and these remind us, Lord, that for you to begin this great work that you are doing, there was a great cost. 
far greater cost than we would ever have to pay to be reconciled with another. You laid down your life, God in the flesh, so that reconciliation could be brought on a broken and damaged world. Lord, we're going to share in this meal together as a reconciled body, one in Christ Jesus. Knowing that we have your forgiveness and your strength. So Lord, we pray that you'd just be powerfully present as we share communion. You would speak to us about that love that you have for us. A love that we express to one another. And you continue shaping us and molding us in the great ways that you have been up to this point.